0: Hello, and welcome to You Philosopher. So today I want to talk with you about something very exciting that happened uh, recently, which was this march that uh, millions of people uh, took to the streets, and it was worldwide, uh, to march for advocacy for women. And there's a lot of politics involved there, but I kind of want to leave that to the side and just talk about, well, is this a an overreaction, right? how genuinely concerned should we be about sexism? Is it still a problem? And so you get two sides of the argument. And one side is, of course, well, haven't we made significant progress and aren't we still making progress? So aren't these people just kind of overreacting and just making a political hula-balao for no reason? In other words, uh, women have the right to vote. You're not allowed to like, be your wife anymore, right? Those laws are, are off the books. Um, though keep in mind, those laws were pretty recent where you could basically just take your wife to the courthouse and, and beat her that day. Um, the, finally, all 50 states have agreed that um, you're not allowed to rape your wife um, for a long time. That was not even considered possible because um, it was not seen as rape to force your wife to have sex because uh, she was your wife. And so she was a part of you. And so she must have, in fact, wanted it. Um, so we've made some good forward motion, haven't we? We have women in the workforce, right? We have powerful female ce- CEOs. A woman um, uh, ran for president of the United States. So are, are people just overreacting here? Well, the other issue ends up being well, it's kind of statistical, and people might kind of say, "Well, yeah, Nick, are you just going to give us a bunch of statistics here?" You know, in 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 our society now today, there's a lot of question of whether or not the media can be even. Trusted with these kinds of statistics and so on and so forth. So let's leave that Aside for the moment and and don't get me wrong. There's some very very important statistics um, Classic one that I think is very telling is this uh, issue where they realize if a man has a gender-neutral name say something like Taylor, right? so both men and women uh, share that name um, that man is m- a good deal less likely to get job callbacks for his resume in comparison with a man who has an identical uh, resume, but with uh, uh, a more commonly considered male name. And so you realize like, wow, you even have to be careful of how you name your children because uh, women who have gender neutral names, they tend to get more callbacks and, and one can only assume is because people are kind of assuming maybe not consciously, but subconsciously they don't want to look, look at the names, they're going, oh, this is probably a woman. Um, so, it works in, in women's favor if people think, oh, maybe this is a man, uh, but it works against men if they think, well, uh, maybe it's a woman. But we'll leave those statistics aside, and what I want to look at some is, is something that we really can't escape from. It's there, and we can't say, oh, this is media or alternative facts or whatever. Uh, let's actually look at just how we straight up use language, and let's look at how we use curse words. I hope you bear with me because I'm going to censor these words a bit, Um, but let's look at uh, how we insult people because it tells us a lot about what we think is bad to be, (laughs) even if it's just in the back of our heads. Maybe we don't really mean it consciously, but what do we think of as bad to be in our society? Well, if I want to insult a man, right, the most insulting things that I can call him Like if I wanna walk into a bar and really get into a fight, if I walk up to a guy and be like, you're such a, and then, you know, call him one one of the many words for a penis, he might even consider it kind of funny or a joke or we're just joshing around, couple of guys, whatever. Uh, If I walk up to a guy and call him uh, an F-A-G or uh, a little B word or uh, a P-U-S-S-Y, well, those are fighting words. I mean, let's be honest, right? If I call a man one of those things, he's likely to be really upset and really offended. Well, what do those things all have in common? They're all things we associate with femaleness, right? Whether it's gay men uh, we're associating with femaleness or whether or not it's female dogs or literally words for women's vagina. And so then it stands to reason, right, that well, okay, but, but Nick, it's just insulting to call someone something of the opposite gender okay well so then it stands to reason right the most if you want to insult a man you call him things for his gender right people like yeah well uh," right um because it doesn't hold true in the other way for women right in other words if i really want to insult a woman i don't call her something male so this argument that oh well it's uh it's really just about insulting people being the other gender. Like, if I really want to insult a woman, I don't call her a D-I-C-K. If I really want to insult a woman, I call her C-U-N-T. In other words, the most insulting words that we use for insulting women are words like the B-word and the C-word, which are also words for women. So the most insulting things that I can call men are female-sounding things, female-associated things. And the most insulting things that I can call women are also uh, female-associated things. And, in fact, if I want to say that something's awesome, I often associate it with maleness. Like, that took some balls. Good for you. And, in fact, I might even say that to women. And I don't say, that took some ovaries. That took some balls. As if they're, like, awesome, somehow. And so this bears itself out in the fact that literally, not just the curse words, but just the word for female and the word for male, are used in similar ways. In other words, I can insult someone by calling them a woman. And I don't mean just calling them a girl, because someone might say, Well, but calling someone a boy is insulting too, right? Like, so like you run like a girl, you throw like a girl, all these classics. But the fact that I can just walk up to someone and I can insult them by like, oh God, you have to be such a woman about this. And I can say that to a man, dude, you are being such a woman right now. And he'll take it as an insult. And and it's meant as one by the people who are saying it. And conversely, right, on the other hand, I can I can say, did a man's job, man up, right? So I can, I literally use the word man as a compliment, not in all cases, but more often than not, and literally can use the word woman as an insult. Well, what does, what does this all mean? Uh, Well, Nick, you're just kind of playing with language and you're trying to force some PC stuff down our throats. No, what I mean is, is it tells us what we think of as a better thing and what we think of as a worse thing in our language. And it affects how we think. And it also teaches younger generations. In other words, they don't know what to think about things. All they have is language and what they observe in the world. And so when young women are constantly hearing that the the most insulting things you can call them are things for them, even they don't want to be called female things. They're insulted by being called the B word. They're insulted by being told, if you want to insult a girl, you can tell her she runs like a girl. That's problematic, is it not? Well, but those are just words. But don't those words also affect how we think? So, in other words, um, consider for this. Uh, consider these. These are two boxes of stickers. They're about five years old. I got them at a dollar store, and obviously, they're uh, they fall into you know typical gender stereotypes, like the you know the blue ones is for the boys and the big ones for the girls but notice even just like at first glance that here the boys right this biggest image here is of like football and baseball sports oriented things things that people do right things that people can achieve and then here for uh women right what they have is is this i this idea that we present of like a pretty girl so this isn't about like what you can do this is about who you are and what you're supposed to look like and then if you actually look at the stickers themselves and they've got a whole bunch of them on the back here um and the same deal here right with uh the boys stickers and then on this side here you can see the the full listing um just to get a basic idea of it is is on uh the the sticker for uh for boys you have things like cars and school buses and uh, clipboards and jerseys and pirate ships and uh, baseballs and footballs and robots and rocket ships, and trains and shovels and teddy bears, right? Um, there's nothing for appearance. There's nothing for what boys are supposed to um, look like, unless you want to count like jerseys or uh, maybe football helmets, right? Um, but not- nothing that they're supposed to put on their face, um, but crayons and, you know, stegosaurus, right? And then here when you look at uh, The one for the girls, you get um, lipstick, uh, shoes, dresses, um, lips with lipstick, uh, bows and rainbows and kittens and hats. Uh, There are no footballs. There are, there's nothing for any sports. There's uh, mermaids. Um, There's no science stuff. There's nothing for scholasticism or school. Now there is, and this is interesting, you'll notice here, you can kind of see her, where is she? Here. You can kind of see the the legs of um, a doctor, right? And you can see the the full version right there of her. Um, I assume she's a doctor, right? She's got the lab coat and um, such. But notice how she's standing, right? Like, despite being a doctor, like, she doesn't really get to wear pants, but she's also standing in, in this kind of, like, Inverted position, right? Um, she can't just be like, I'm a doctor. It's like, hi, I'm a doctor. Well, what does this all mean? Because people are going to say, well, no, Nick, this is just because, like, if you tried to sell these stickle- stickers to girls, they wouldn't buy them. I mean, if you tried to sell these stickers to boys, they wouldn't buy them. I beg to differ. When they're two, unless you've inundated them, and I've observed this with people who have raised their children differently, so it's anecdotal. Um, if you do not raise your boys with the idea that they shouldn't wear pink and don't let them, they'll pick pink on occasion, right? On occasion, we'll pick pink. Um, and uh, a two-year-old girl, unless she's like really kind of been instructed otherwise at that age, and she hasn't really had much of a chance to get into the socialization of it yet, she'll pick up things like football. She'll want to play with baseball. There's, this happens. So somewhere along the lines, we're actually training them. And not only is this... Um, evidence to how we're training them. But this is also evidence of how they are trained by us, right? So we're training them to want to be like this, but then this is also an act of training and raising them to think in particular ways. Well, what's the problem? What's the problem if we, you know, want girls to be pretty and, you know, we encourage boys to do this science stuff? Well, not necessarily a problem, but when it's only it becomes a problem or when it's overwhelmingly or when it's divided by gender, it starts to become a problem, especially because I think there's excellent reason to believe that there's a direct correlation to things like domestic violence. In other words, we've basically raised uh, men to be more likely to fight back. That's not to say that men are not victims of sexual violence and, and uh, of, uh, domestic violence. Men are abused and men are abused by women. That happens. But we have also raised them to believe that they're strong and that they're competent and that they should work on being strong and that they should work on being able to be successful in other ways. When it comes to women in our society, we basically raise them to believe that there's not what they're supposed to do, but who they're supposed to be. And if they don't meet that, then there's probably something wrong with them. I mean, if you walk into a Target, for instance, if you look around and you realize, like, as a man, I'm kind of lucky. I mean, it's getting a little bit worse, but I can look around and go, huh, most of the stuff in here isn't really directly about fixing me. I can go buy this food, or I can go buy this video game, or I I can buy something. Most of the stuff in there is not suggesting that there's something wrong with me. When a woman walks into Target, whether she realizes it or not, think about how much stuff in there is actually oriented towards fixing something about her. Whether or not it's makeup, not just for fun, right? But makeup that's supposed to cover something up or supposed to fix something or supposed to get rid of something, something's supposed to change something. And this is increasing a bit for men, right? There's some stuff for, you know, men losing their hair and you see them. But if you look at the cosmetic aisles for women, it's huge. If you look at how much food is associated with fixing something about women, right? If you look in, in the clothing sections, how much of it is about changing something about a woman that's supposed to lift or tighten or tuck or move or minimize or maximize, Whatever else, it's terrifying to realize how much of it suggests that there's something wrong with being you. And, well, again, how problematic could this possibly be? Well, consider something like that famous riddle. I love to give this riddle to my students. I'm sure you've already heard it and you probably already know the answer. Uh, I like to really draw it out and give a lot of kind of like uh, unnecessary details, but I'll spare you that. Uh, but that riddle where you have a father and son and they're driving along and uh, they get hit by a semi and the father's instantly killed. So they bring the son, they airlift him to the hospital and they wheel him down into the ER. The doctor walks in, looks at the boy and says, I can't operate on him, he is my son. And I ask my students this and colleagues and it's always fascinating the answers that I get because I will get answers like, wait, okay, so the father dies the doctor says I can't operate on him. He's my son. So was he adopted, maybe? Um, some of them will say, well, like, oh, were they gay? Uh, my favorite answer was, as I've gotten, was, so was the dad Jesus? Even when we're talking about sexism, most of the people I talk with will still not go, oh, well, it's the mother. Obviously, that's a given. Right? That's ob- that's like, an easy answer. And I've even had it happen where... Women, and, and this has happened and on at least two occasions, women I knew who are brilliant people who are becoming doctors. And I've been talking to them about this riddle because I was just talking about the sexism they experience, and they're pointing out the fact that people don't treat them with the same kind of respect as the other uh, as the other me- medical students. Um, and I'll say, yeah, oh, so for instance, I give this and my students never get it. And they go, wait a minute, hold on, wait, I, I can figure this out. And I'm like... <laughs> Because what you realize is when we use the word doctor, we assume male. And it's embedded in our language. It's embedded how we talk with each other. And then people go, well, well, Nick, see, this is you being unfair because most doctors are men. So, of course, we're going to think that way. It's not sexism. Of course, we're going to think that way. And then we forget, like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. Why would most doctors be men? This isn't like issues with, like, the, the other kinds of minorities where we can say, well, of course, there's more doctors who are white than black because there's more white people. There aren't more men. So why are there more male doctors? And then the men, but we get to at least subconsciously feel a little better about it. Like, well, I mean, everyone has the same opportunity to be a doctor, it's not our fault that women, I guess, don't wanna do it. Maybe they wash out, maybe they're not strong enough. And isn't that convenient for us? We just kind of get to feel a little bit better. So the problem is though, what if we've been raising women to not actually think that they can do it in the first place? We're not doing it on purpose, maybe. Most of the time, I like to think we're not doing it on purpose, but, you know, I mean, what does this say? What does this, in fact, tell us about how we're raising uh, young women? And what if, in fact, the way that we are using our language and the way that we're engaging with women and the examples that we're showing them, in fact, are making it so that they're less likely to fight back when they're abused? And again, isn't that convenient that they're less likely to be Advocates for themselves because we basically taught them there's something wrong with you and you should be busy fixing that as opposed to fixing the society that helps oppress you. Well, so basically what you're saying, Nick, is is that we hate femininity. Well, a little bit, yeah. Uh, and the classic example, one of the easiest examples is is um, a wife can come to, to bed with her husband like wearing his dress shirt, right? Just just his dress shirt, you know, it's a little naughty, right? Oh, uh, you know, it's it's just a little. A little bad. It's, there's nothing wrong with that. She's wearing his dress shirt. It's a little cute. Uh, he can't wear come to bed wearing her blouse. I mean, under most circumstances, right? And you tell people then they laugh. <laughs> but seriously, in other words, it's seen as like cute for her to kind of engage in maleness, but bad for him to engage in femaleness. And that explains a whole lot of stuff about our society. It explains why we tend to be like, oh, it's kind of sexy for women in to uh, to be bisexual, right? For them to play with other women, to kind of play in maleness, right? But it's bad for men to be gay. Right. So you can just look at that the way that's kind of treated in college, right? Where, you know, if two women are like, oh, we just made out, and we're like, oh yay, let's take photos, right? If you know Bill and Bob are at a party and they say, Yeah, we just tried it. It's not that bad. We're like, ugh, and we freak out. Well what if that's because we view it as kind of good for women To to, kind of cute for them to play in maleness, almost like, you know, when your child puts on your shoes and tromps around the house. I mean, as long as they don't really believe that they can do it. But if men engage in maleness, it's demeaning. If men engage in femaleness, we see it as demeaning and that they're doing something wrong, which explains like why male nurses are treated terribly. And sometimes even by women, by female nurses. Well, why did you become a doctor? People are much less likely to say that to a female nurse. Well, why did you become a doctor? But we'll say that to the men who are male nurses. Well, because I, I love working with patients in this way. What's wrong with that? Um, you know, I, I'm sure that as someone who teaches English, you know, I hear more often, well, so Nick, you know, why don't you go and teach more college instead of less high school? Because but I'm sure that most female English teachers don't hear the same question as often as I do. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Again, that, that's kind of just my own anecdotal experience. Okay, so having said all this, what if what we're talking about is encouraging people to feel like they're weaker and being less likely to fight back and less likely to advocate for themselves? Like in the case of sport. Um, Sport is segregated. And when I say that, people go, what are you talking about, Nick? Sport isn't segregated. We let black people play, what are you talking about? No, it's segregated by sex, it's segregated by gender and the ideas of those things. And people go, yeah, yeah, but you have to do that because women can't play the same way. I mean, they wouldn't be able to make it. So you have to have a league for them. Well, first of all, we don't really give them the opportunity and we don't raise them like they can do it in the first place. We literally discourage them from wanting to do it in many circumstances, though not all. So consider it like this, our argument that women, um, well, they deserve their own league because they just wouldn't be able to play as good as men at the end of the day. And it's a little unfair to the women. Like maybe one could make it, but you know, would be the equivalent of basically saying, well, white men are having trouble making it in a basketball today. So why don't we make a white male basketball? league?" And we'd be like, that's insulting. We should give them the chance that they can do it great. And if they can't, okay, that's not racism. That's just like, they're not making it in, but we don't need our own white league so white men can play. But we do that with women. And we're very comfortable with it. And you realize when I give this example to students, students say, okay, Nick, the women just wouldn't make it. They just wouldn't be able to make it at all. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like take the NFL, for instance. I'll say, well, surely the worst man on the worst team, right, like just the lowest string player on the worst team in the NFL, he's gotta be replaceable with the best female football player in the world, right? They'll be like, well, no. And you realize then that the only reason why we think he's better than her is because he's male. As if by default, the worst male football player must be better than the best female football player. And I've heard this over and over again. In other words, we really believe, despite not really having a lot of evidence and not giving them the chance to try, that women are here when it comes to sport, and they can get up here—that's oh, that's pretty awesome. But then men, even at their worst, start here. That's—that um, seems to me like we could say that sexism. And uh, we say, "Well, but, but Nick, that's, you haven't really given us a reason to believe that this is a real problem." So let's bear. Let's pull out a statistic. Let's play with a number. Statistics suggest that one in every five women in the United States are sexually assaulted in their lifetime. Worldwide, the statistic gets even worse. It's something like one out of every three. One out of four women in the United States have reported being beaten by someone um, that they're in a, a romantic relationship with. And say, Well, well, Nick, I thought you were going to talk about statistics. Let's let's go ahead and make that number like because you know there's this concern about alternative facts, so let's let's ratchet that number to be as generous as like like okay that's way off. Let's say it's one out of every 15 women, one out of 20. So like we're radically changing the stat. Let's say it's one out of every hundred only, one out of every hundred. What's interesting to me about that is even if it's only one out of every 50, one out of every hundred, certainly if it's one out of every five, that you don't really have us talking about it in terms of. Uh, any real significance here, governmentally, or in our society in general. And let me give you an example of what I mean. If I type in epidemic of into Google, before I hit enter, it starts giving me a series of options. Oh, epidemic of loneliness, epidemic of obesity, epidemic of clowns. Then if I hit enter, I start getting some other potential epidemics, epidemic of worry, epidemic of blindness, um, epidemic of passable movies. In other words, we use the word epidemic pretty flippantly to mean stuff other than uh, illnesses in some circumstances, like in the case of epidemic of clowns. How many people have to be infected by a thing or how bad does a thing have to be before you call it an epidemic? One out of 100, one out of 50, one out of five. Because I don't hear us talking about the rape epidemic. And that's odd. I've heard people talking about the texting epidemic and the epidemic, but I've never heard anyone say the rape epidemic, the sexual violence academic, uh, epidemic, the uh, domestic abuse epidemic, despite the fact that it impacts a tremendous number of women and, by the way, a fair number of men. Where's that conversation? And then you realize, oh, if you look up epidemic, which is a little bit tough because when you look up the term epidemic outside of meaning uh, something, an illness, right? you mean it in this other kind of more uh, conversational way, like an epidemic of video games. Um, well, epidemics tend to be variable based on how common the disease is. So if it's something like smallpox that we think we've like eradicated, two cases of it, especially when it's a really dangerous disease are seen as like, it could, might be called an epidemic. Whereas uh, you know if it's a really, really common illness, you need a lot more of it for people to go, oh, this is epidemic. Horses. And you go, oh, that's why we're not talking about the rape epidemic. Because despite the huge numbers, it's been normal. We're used to it. So unlike two instances of smallpox, which would freak us out, one out of five, one out of ten, one out of 50 women being sexually assaulted, it's not new. It's just normal. And what's really bothersome to me about it is is every time I talk with my students about it, whether a college class or otherwise, I've all, not always, but often, in almost every case, had a woman come up to me afterwards and not say, thank you, or this was an important conversation, but what she said is, please, can we not talk about rape again? Because it's something that happened to me. And I think this is an important conversation, but at least can I excuse myself because it just brings back too much. So I can't help but wonder, knowing that rape is the most underreported crime that we have, how much worse it really is. Because we want to err on the side of maybe that statistic is less. What if it's more? And what are we going to do about it? Sexism is still a thing. It's still very real. And what we've done is we've kind of created our own language and our own society to act like it's not a big deal. That when people do talk about it like it's a big deal, they're being extremists. But here's the fact of the matter. This is when women have been coming out and talking about sexism the idea of a rape culture in our society, look at how people talk to them. How do you know that you live in a rape culture? How do you know that there's a rape epidemic going on? When women who talk about it, they blog, or they make videos about it, or they get on television, they say, this is a problem, we're concerned, we'd like to see it fixed. When they come out and say these things, and they're threatened, not just with violence, but with rape, and you can look it up, and you can see it, The responses are absolutely appalling, where some woman will be talking about how she'd like to advocate for women and the problems of rape and mistreatment of women in our society, and you will have tremendous numbers of replies that say, well, if I could get my hands on you, and well, when I get to you, I'm going to So women who talk about these things have to move, have uh, have to get off of social media, have to stop talking about it. How do you know that you're in a rape culture when women who talk about being in a rape culture are threatened with rape? So, with that happy thought, I hope you have a wonderful week.